Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Tony Barrett sat for the first day, a first full day of hearings anyway, with the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, She had a blank pad of paper. She presented herself with a poise, which now becomes the envy of us all. She was, I will use these words, unflappable, gracious, humble, merciful, appropriately humorous, engaging, respectful, dignified. When senators asked questions that uh, were not questions at all, or um, when they failed to ask questions that could even be appropriately answered, such as, uh, have you ever sexually assaulted another person? Um, She continued to be gracious, unflappable, humble, engaging, respectful, dignified. Uh, I learned a great deal about her uh, from her composure. I suspect that being a mom to seven children, one with Down syndrome, was an important part of her preparation. As much as she learned, you know, the law in law school or as much as she learned from clerking with uh, Antonin Scalia or as a professor at Notre Dame, I am suspecting that her ability to sit under the judgment of others without baring her teeth as they bared their teeth at her um, was as much about uh, having kids who have thrown temper tantrums as anything else. So uh, we're going to talk more about the hearings in the second half of this hour with Hunter Baker. But right now I want to share an article posted at the Gospel Coalition. It's about yard signs, but it's not about Biden-Harris or Trump-Pence yard signs. It's about the yard signs with the black background and the multicolored lines that read, in this house, we believe black lives matter, women's rights are human rights, no human is illegal, science is real, love is love, kindness is everything. By the way, I, I believe all those things too. This is now my conversation with Brett McCracken about your neighbor's new creed. That's up next. favorite websites to visit is thegospelcoalition.org, and one of my favorite writers there is Brett McCracken. He is a senior editor at the Gospel Coalition. He's the author of several books. The Wisdom Pyramid uh, is one of those that I really like. Uncomfortable, the Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. He's got several He's got several books worth checking out. Today, I've invited him uh, on to talk specifically about an article he has posted at the Gospel Coalition website. Um, Brett, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much, Carmen. Great to be here. So the article is about my neighbor. I mean, it's like literally about my neighbor. It's entitled Your Neighbor's <laughs> New Creed. In this yeah. house, we believe. So first of all, what what's sort of the visual that people need to to get in their minds? And they're going to be able to see it as soon as you start talking about it. Yeah. So at least in my neighborhood in Southern California, and I'm 
guessing in many neighborhoods across the country, there are these yard signs that have been popping up in recent years, but it feels like especially in 2020. And it basically it says, in this house, we believe. And then there's kind of a list of statements that are kind of popular slogans, typically maybe associated with the political left. So it's Black Lives Matter, women's rights are human rights, no human is illegal, science is real, love is love, kindness is everything. And there's different variations of it. Like one of the variations has uh, the statement, water is life on there as well. And there's a couple other um, statements that you sometimes will see. But um, the gist of it is it's this yard sign that is like a almost like a creed of sorts saying that here are the things we believe in this household. It's very creedal. And what I love about your article is, first of all, and you actually do this towards the end, but I sort of want to lift it up towards the top. It should not, we as Christians should not receive it as like a political provocation, but actually as an invitation to conversation. So let's start there, and then let's walk people through each one of the points in this Mm -hmm. We Believe creedal statement that appears on flags and yard signs today, and introduce Christians to really the underlying truths where we really do have bridges to conversation. Yeah, you know, I think that a lot of Christians, you know, who are maybe more politically uh, conservative might see the sign as a, like I said in the article, it might immediately come across as a political provocation, like, oh, we're we're on the other side of all of these issues from you. But um, I, I think it's a healthier, more constructive approach to recognize that a lot of these statements and sentiments are religious in nature. They're actually founded on Christian principles. And yes, maybe they've been distorted a bit and kind of twisted uh, in in a certain political direction, but um, at their base, they we can we can kind of connect over some um, moral principles that undergird these statements. So that was kind of what I was trying to do with this article was to show how each of these statements um, can be a conversation starter with our with our neighbors uh, in terms of uh, did you realize that this statement you know is actually something the Bible agrees with in a sense. Um, or that, you know, this statement comes from a biblical principle, really. So you, would you like me to go through those each statement now? I totally, or, or? yeah. So I'm going to be the okay. I'm going to be the neighbor <laughs> who has posted uh-huh. the uh, the sign in my yard. So I now have a sign sure. in my yard that says, in this house, we believe. And, and the top line then says, Black Lives Matter. You are my neighbor. You are a Christian. Maybe you don't know whether yeah. or not I am a Christian, and you are gonna you are gonna do what when you see me watering my flowers? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I would say first with the 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 Black Lives Matter statement. This is you know a controversial statement and has all sorts of political connotations. Um, you know, we don't have to get into, but as, as a basic assertion that that Black Lives Matter among any sort of human life, that's a, that's a concept that really um, comes from the Bible in terms of humans being created in God's image. And, and that's what, you know, imbues humanity with the dignity that sets us apart from animals, for example. We, we humans are worthy of being protected, dignified, you know, human rights are a thing because of the image of God that humans uniquely bear. So saying Black Lives Matter ultimately, you know, points back to that reality. Um, and so that's something that all Christians should agree with, that those three words as a sentence, Black Lives Matter. Um, so that's what I would say to that. The, the women's rights are human rights um, question, 
I would I would talk about how, you know, women's rights. Um, if you go back to the first century and the 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 way that Christianity really changed the dynamics of gender and sex in terms of, um, you know, it was a good thing for women. <laughs> Suddenly, the Bible um, had scriptures that that say, you know, men and women are, are equal in, in the sight of God. And, uh, you know, women um, are, are foregrounded in scripture and elevated to a prominent place in ways that um, they weren't often uh, in the ancient world. Um, and so the the idea of of women's rights you can also trace back really to to the Bible and the, and the kind of the leveling of the playing field before God that um, that the gospel um, represents. So uh, then I think the next statement is about um, no human is illegal, and of course this uh, is is referring to um, immigration and specific policies related to that. Um, but, you know, I talk about in the article how the idea of um, being aliens, being foreigners, um, is something that we all are, in a sense, as sinners before God. And so all of us, you know, but without the gospel, without grace, are illegal in the sight of God. So um, it's only by the grace of God that we are reconciled to him, um, and, and, and we're no longer um, illegal, but we're declared uh, legal um, inside of God. So that's, so, that's like a, a tee, a tee up for the gospel right there, I think. Totally. And it's kind of a, yeah, it's admittedly a roundabout way, you know, it's not, uh, it, it's not directly addressing immigration policy, which is what they're getting at on that statement, but it's still, um, you know, I think the issue of immigration in general is a really easy segue to the gospel. Yeah. Great conversation starter. For sure. We have to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, yeah. I want to pick okay. up with the um, the other lines on the yard sign. Yeah. Science is real. Love is love. Kindness is everything. I'm talking with Brett McCracken. The article um, that's at the um, that's at the center of our conversation is posted at thegospelcoalition.org. Uh, Brett and I will be right back. Continuing my conversation now with Brett McCracken, you can read the article that we are um, having a conversation about today. It's posted at thegospelcoalition.org. It's called Your Neighbor's New Creed, In This House We Believe. Um, And we have already covered, we believe, Black Lives Matter, women's rights are human rights, and no human is illegal. So, Brett, let's pick back up with science is real. How is that a conversation starter, an invitation <laughs> yeah. for, for me as a Christian to my neighbor, not a political provocation? Yeah. So, again, in the context of this sign, I think science is real, is referring to climate change and kind of the the accusation that um, conservatives don't really you know, believe in science. That was even something uh, Kamala Harris said this week at the vice presidential debate. Um, but I would say, you know, in terms of Christianity, it's it's not um, accurate to say that the Bible, you know, conflicts with science or doesn't believe in science. Actually, there's nothing in the Bible that would suggest that, you know, we shouldn't study science and that it shouldn't be a part of um, our investigation into the world God created. In fact, if we as Christians believe God created the world, we should we of all people should be studying science because by studying science we're learning more about God and his creation. So I don't think there's a real conflict there between science and faith. And in fact I would also point to the fact historically that some of the greatest scientists in history 
you know, Isaac Newton um, as an example from history or in the present day, Francis Collins, who's heading up the National Institutes of Health and kind of leading the coronavirus vaccine development. He's a believing Christian. So there's really there doesn't have to be this this conflict between uh, science and faith. Um, the love is love one is next on the list. And this one, I think, is, you know, of course, referring to LGBT rights and the idea that love is um, can be anything you, you want it to be. It doesn't have to take any specific form. And I say in the article, this is probably the, the most uh, difficult one to reconcile with Christianity, the most, you know, there's, there's just a fundamental disagreement that Christians have with this statement. Um, and and I, would al- I would also just ask the person, like, what do you mean love is love? Like that, that sentence is semantically meaningless. You're using the same word to define the word. So what does it even mean to say love is love? Um, is it really anything you want, you want it to be? Um, I, I, th- I say in the article, if love is anything, it's nothing. Like if, if we're saying it can be anything, then we're, we're stripping it of any discernible meaning whatsoever. And is that really what we want to do with something so beautiful and significant as love? So it's a great segue, I think, to talk about how, you know, Scripture does define love. And, and Jesus personifies the, the epitome of love and going to the cross for us. Um, and, and, and the Bible defines love in a covenantal relationship between a man and a woman. And, and so, um, yeah, there's, there's a great opportunity to, to both challenge the logic of that statement and to, to kind of get the other person to define what are they saying there, um, but also to point back to the Bible. Um, and then finally, the, the sentence that sometimes wraps up this creed is kindness is everything. And, you know, I think that this is one where, yes, like part of it is true, like the Bible talks about kindness. Um, you know, Romans 2 talks about kindness leads to repentance. Um, but I think it's the is everything part that uh, I would I would challenge and question. Like when you say that kindness is is everything, um, is it what do you mean by that? Like <laughs> if if everyone were just a bit kinder, would that solve all the world's problems? Would would our individual fallenness and temptations and struggles with sin be solved if all of us were just a little kinder to one another? Um, I, I say in the article that if you just added one word to that statement before kindness is everything, if you just said God's kindness is everything, then that's a statement Christians could 100% get behind because that's the gospel, right? God's kindness to us while we were yet sinners, you know, that is everything. That is the gospel. Um, he didn't need to reach out to us and come down to us um, in, in our sin to save us, but he did. So um, so that's an example of how a lot of these sentences are partially true, and there's good things about them, but it's just kind of like twisted just a little bit or taken a little bit too far out of the biblical context. Um, but, but there's enough there to build bridges, I think. Yeah, I think there's no question about that. And Brett, I like that you remind us what a creedal statement is and why why these creedal statements, you know, posted as yard signs, give us an opportunity to have a conversation with our neighbors. Um, You know, it it says something about me that I would bear a particular sign, right, that I'm going to wear a sign out into the world. And as a Christian, you know, I recognize I am a signpost, like I'm a human signpost. I am supposed to be pointing beyond myself, um, others, you know, not seeing my good works, but, but actually seeing the God whom I glorify, the Christ whom I serve. 
Um, and so yeah. even if I do a kindness to my neighbor, my hope is not that they see my kindness, but that they see God behind it, right? So I do think there yeah. are all kinds of opportunities for conversation here, even the conversation about who is my neighbor. Um, and mm-hmm. so, I mean, I just think there's so much here. There's so much rich um, soil to till in this conversation. Talk with us about um, the power of creed. When I say yeah. I believe something, and then when I say we, because this is a collective, like familial, everybody who lives in this house statement, me and my house kind of statement. Um, talk about the power of creedal yeah. statements. Yeah, I mean, when I first started noticing these signs, that was that just initially jumped out to me, like as almost like a um, an example of how even in a secularizing nation and in, in what some call a post-Christian culture, we still can't get away from religion in terms of like we all everyone needs to believe something, everyone needs to worship something beyond themselves. It's just a fundamental part of being human, and so when we see signs like this, it just reminds us that even if people, you know, have abandoned institutional religion or are just disenchanted a bit with, with faith, um, they still have those urges, those longings for justice and for, you know, loving your neighbors as yourself and those kind of fundamental ethics of Jesus that, you know, post-Christian culture is, the definition of it is that it's not totally pagan, right? It comes after Christianity. So it's kind of marinated deeply in Christianity. So we all kind of in a post-Christian culture have grown up knowing what kind of those core biblical ethics are, um, the golden rule, loving your neighbor as yourself, you know, justice, all of these things. So this sign is a perfect artifact of a post-Christian culture. It's, It's reworking, it's kind of remixing biblical ethics, but in the context of politics. Um, But I think we as Christians should see it as a great opportunity to remind people we can't have justice. We can't have, you know, we can't solve these problems apart from the the moral foundation of the Bible. These these very ideas, these very urges that to assert that that lives matter, that, you know, women are are to be dignified as equals to men. Like these are things that (laughs) the Bible asserts and gives us vocabulary and foundations um, to, to make those statements. So, yeah, it's, I think the creed thing is a profound example of how we can't get away from, um, you know, the religious urge to believe in things bigger than ourselves, to work tirelessly on, on behalf of others. Um, It's not enough to just live for yourself, to just kind of want to survive, um, you know, in a Darwinian way. Uh, in this world. We, we we want to be part of something bigger. And that's what is being expressed, I think, in this sign. All right. And then one final question before I let you go. And thank you so much. And again, uh, Brett McCracken uh, is a senior editor at the Gospel Coalition. You can find the article we are discussing today at thegospelcoalition.org. Help me resist the temptation of whataboutism. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that, yeah, I mean, because right, there could be a thousand things on the sign, yeah. right? Well, what about well, yeah. what about baby lives? Well, what about blue lives? Well, yeah. what about I mean, so what? Yeah. Couldn't it just say yeah. all lives matter, right? So what about ism? Yeah, yeah, and I address that specifically with with the Black Lives Matter statement because I think that any any time that comes up, you're you're hit with a thousand. What about this? What about that? And I think that um, <laughs> sure, like we can have that conversation, but taken on its own can't we just assert that like i think that in our culture right now we need to 
avoid whataboutism and just kind of deal with the logic, deal with the um, the thing in front of us, and um, and not just kind of use whataboutism as a dismissal of, of things like that. So yeah, with each of these statements, you could probably counter them with a million whatabouts. But I think for Christians especially, as we think about evangelism in a post-Christian culture, I don't think jumping to that defensive posture of whataboutism is going to be our best uh, method, our best tactic uh, to win our neighbors, you know, to Christ. I think that um, a more, um, yeah, just a more gracious tone of just taking each statement on its own and and, and trying to understand what they mean by it and where we can kind of agree um, is probably the better approach. And that's what I was trying to do uh, with this particular article. Yeah, I just think it's really great. My encouragement to to listeners is to look at the Apostles' Creed and recognize it was also written in a in a time of particular context. And there are mm. a thousand other things that could be said in the Apostles' Creed that we believe. But this is the we believe list that, you know, that made it at a point in time. And so the point in time in which uh, our neighbor is addressing their concern um, is the point in time where we need to meet them. So let's see if we can't build a bridge with our neighbor based on the signage they put in their yard today. Brett McCracken, thanks so much for uh, being a good human signpost for us, directing us toward um, toward heavenly things, giving us a, a, a global and a gospel perspective on what's happening uh, even in the yard next door. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Okay, which parts, if any, of the Senate confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett are you watching? Are you listening to? I admit I had occasion to tune in for a few minutes yesterday afternoon, and I happened to hear uh, the back and forth related to uh, abortion. I happened to hear the back and forth related to uh, language of sexual preference and then the judge's clarification on the use of that language. Uh, I heard the conversation about whether or not Roe v. Wade is a super precedent. Um, Mostly what I heard were other people talking and not Judge Amy Coney Barrett. And so now we're going to talk with Hunter Baker about these confirmation hearings, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, what we're not seeing, and what we're not hearing. Uh, That's all up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Moms and dads often ask me for practical things they can do to improve their relationship with the teen. They're like, Mark, what can I do today to turn our relationship around? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Let me suggest five practical things to get you started. Just pick one. Here goes. Don't point out everything your kid could do better. Ask a question and listen for an answer. Don't share your opinion unless asked for it. Praise your son or daughter in public and make time this week for a father-son or mother-daughter date. Connecting with your teen takes initiative. I hope one little change will make a big impact on your relationship with your teen. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Paul 
Perot has just declared that the uh, official theme song yes, for 2020. <clears throat> Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Boy, I feel like it's been a long time. It has been a long time. I don't know where you've yeah. been, man. Well, what happened is I turned 50 and started having all these medical things that had to be done. They just hit exactly wanna, at the wrong we do, time. We do not want to talk about any of that. I, 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 too, have walked that path. So let's not talk about that. OK, let's talk about other things. Let's talk about what we uh, heard, what we saw on the first day plus of uh, Senate confirmation hearings for Judge Amy Coney Barrett to serve as the uh, ninth justice on the Supreme Court of uh, these United States. Um, start yeah. wherever you want. I'll just start with this word. Um, uh, well, I'm allowed to say this. You're probably not allowed to say this. She's wearing great dresses, great <laughs> dresses, um, great dresses. And um, in a word, my impression is, wow. What is your one word impression? Well, I certainly agree that she presents very well. Um that, uh, you know, you look at that, uh, that face and her general affect and you feel like you're, uh, you feel like you're dealing with a very, uh, sort of put together person. And, and yeah. from what we know about her, I mean, I have to tell you that I found it difficult <clears throat> to get my PhD and navigate the world of work with, uh, with two children, uh, who were small at the time, you know, she has what, seven children. She has seven. Uh, yeah. And and has become one of the uh, most distinguished judges in the United States. I anybody who could do that. And I and I know that sometimes the work home balance is tougher for women. Uh, I'm I'm pretty blown away. Uh, yeah. Right. OK. So pull that I, off. Yeah. I, I, too, am blown away. I um I'm reading. All kinds of things out there uh, on this particular subject and topic. There's actually uh, a piece in the New York Times, um, you know, on this topic. Like, why does she get to have it all? Why does she get to do it all? And I'm thinking to myself, um, okay, actually, uh, people of conservative faith are not trying. We're not, you know, nobody's heel is on, uh, you know, is on is on me. Like, I'm not. Nobody's trying to keep me down. That's not what we're about. Um, and so I think that there is a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation of Christianity. Uh, conservative Christianity in particular, that says it's about somehow diminishing and keeping women down. Um, that's a fallacy. That's not true. And those of us who have been blessed and benefited by um, particularly, you know, men who are Christians, who have mentored us and elevated us and encouraged us uh, to pursue the things of the gospel and advance the gospel in whatever way, you know, God uh, so gifts and calls us. You know, I think this is the time we need to step forward and we need to say, she is really unusual and unique because she is unusual and unique, but it is not that unusual nor unique for Christian women to um, do a multiplicity of things, including being good wives and good moms. Yeah, I mean, that's totally true. Um, you know, my own marriage is like that. I, you know, Ruth and I married when she was in medical school and uh, we, you know, together we managed to pull off raising two kids. We don't have a nanny. We don't have a chef. You know, what? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we we have figured it out, and we have both been able to thrive in our careers. You have to have a true partnership. Uh, that's that's right. for sure. the The other thing I want to say is that you you put your finger on something I think is really important. There is this narrative, uh, and sometimes it comes from 
within the Christian family, kind of on the left, is that the reason that people like us are pro-life is because we want to keep women barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. Uh, and that just totally misunderstands the nature of our concern. We are concerned with protecting unborn, innocent unborn life. This is not about some kind of power play uh, using fertility to control women. Right. Okay, that actually gets us into one of, I think, the major thread lines of the confirmation hearings. And from the Democratic side, the thread line is defend, defend, defend Roe v. Wade. Um, because, and the language that was used over and over and over again was the language of health care related to women's access to abortion as, uh, as health care. And that sort of tied the abortion conversation yesterday into the conversation about the Affordable Care Act. Um, which uh, is just an interesting tie-in. It's interesting to see Democrats defend uh, defend the uh, the policies of Obamacare when, in fact, every single candidate uh, that they put forward for the presidency this year, at least in the at the primary in, in the primaries, you know, basically said the thing needs to be replaced. Now they would say it needs to be replaced in ways that are different than um, than others would say, but everybody seems to agree it's broken. It doesn't work for enough people and it doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, and so it, it, just talk with me about, um, maybe the criticisms that you heard yesterday of her when she addressed questions related to Roe v. Wade by basically saying, I can't prejudge something that's not actually before me. Um, and it's not a super precedent because it's not actually on a list of super precedents. Yeah, there are a few things to say. First of all, the insecurity for Roe v. Wade is well-founded, not not necessarily because uh, any given judge uh, may be hostile to it, but because Roe v. Wade is bad law. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I, the people who are, uh, I think that I think that I actually saw Ginsburg acknowledge this. Uh, not she was totally for it, right? Uh, but she – I think she clearly acknowledged what, what most fair-minded people in the legal community see, which is that it was a bad decision. Go back and read it. It's a terrible decision, uh, and it certainly doesn't track with the life we live now where we frame pictures of, of, uh, of our ultrasounds right, or, or run those videos. At, can you, I mean can you just make sense of a society – where some people have videos and framed pictures of ultrasounds and other people are allowed to kill that same being, right? Uh, the, the cognitive dissonance is incredible. Um, so that's one thing, right? We're totally not dealing with the personhood of the unborn child. The other thing is, uh, so yeah, she she is not going to answer, and that's the way it has to be. The mm -hmm. uh, no nominees for the court will do that. In fact, uh, I've heard that referred to as the Ginsburg rule, as if that kind of crystallized during her confirmation hearing. <clears throat> but generally speaking, uh, judges will come in and they will they will simply refuse. So Amy Coney Barrett is no different in that regard. Uh, she is following the script that basically every modern Supreme Court nominee follows. Um, I want to talk a little bit um, when we come back. We got to take a very brief break. I'm talking with Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University. We're going to stay on this uh, topic for just a minute. I'm going to ask you if you heard anything that you would then like to hear repeated 
Um, so maybe you had a favorite exchange yesterday. And then for people who didn't actually watch it, could you describe the scene? Because it's a little weird. All right. All that up next on Mornings with Carmen. Now I'm All right, continuing my conversation with Dr. Hunter Baker from Union University. We are talking about our impressions and takeaways from days one and two of the confirmation hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee of Judge Amy Coney Barrett, who is the president's nominee for the ninth seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. So um, I'll go ahead and show my hand here, Hunter. My favorite image of the day was Amy Coney Barrett uh, holding up a blank pad of paper. You can tell people why in just a moment. My favorite exchange was with Senator Ben Sass um, because I felt like it was educational and helpful, even though it came late in the day. How about you? Uh, favorite moment? I don't know about a favorite moment. Weirdest, strangest moment was the, <laughs> the whole Sheldon Whitehouse conspiracy oh, thing. Uh, just odd, scheme. right? Yes, yeah. Um, what I, what I want to say about that is that so his entire theory was that there is this uh, massive conservative uh, judicial conspiracy, and we can see it through, you know, somehow he puts together some kind of 80 to zero uh, Republican appointee record. And all I can say about that is I, I'm almost positive that uh, that there's empirical evidence to show that the Democratic nominees vote together more often than the Republican nominees do. Or another way to put it is, is that more typically you have a Republican nominee who leaves sort of their natural team to vote the other way. Uh, It's terrible that we even talk that way about judges. Um, But the other thing is, is that, is that if we think about it, so many Republican judges end up sort of playing for the other side. I mean, I think about Justice Souter, I think about Justice Kennedy, uh, as the uh, Justice John Paul Stevens, uh, Justice uh, uh, well Blackman, Roberts on some points, Roberts on some some points. I mean, if 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 either side has been uh, more diverse in terms of their voting record, it's been the Republican side. Yeah, no question about it. In fact, I I think that it's harder to tell when Republican. I, I think it's harder to tell or predict how Republican appointees to the Supreme Court um, will decide cases because they wait, which is what she's talking about. They don't prejudge cases. That's what she talked about yesterday. You are asking me these hypothetical scenarios and you are asking me to prejudge. That's prejudicial. I don't do that. I mean, this is not what she said out loud, but I mean, this is what she's saying. Um, I'm a judge. I'm not prejudicial. That's like, Contrary to the idea and the term and the the calling. So I just um, I loved how she approached those conversations in terms of those hypothetical scenarios that they kept presenting. Um, All right. So um, visually, when you when you experienced the scene visually for people who who didn't actually see any of this, um, tell people about the the these giant pictures, these giant photographs that Democrats keep putting up. Are you talking about the the people who supposedly would be harmed uh, yes. if the ACA yes, were Yes, these pictures appealed? of harm. Yes. It's so odd. Yeah. It's such an odd part of what is it, – yeah, it's just – it's new, is it not? I've never seen such a thing. Yeah. I mean there's – I mean there's all kinds of things. There is there is a big sort of attempt on the left to move people through imagery of this type. 
if we were not in in a time of COVID, um, I, I have little doubt that we would have some protesters in the room wearing the Handmaid's Tail oh, uh, yes. sort of outfit, right? Um, <clears throat> so, yes. I mean, I, I think that probably what has happened is, is that uh, they have made this big pitch to pro-life Christians not to vote for Donald Trump uh, on the theory that that Joe Biden is a better choice in that regard, that he can bring us together. And so I think that they have tried to concentrate the attack on uh, Amy Coney Barrett via the ACA. Um, but I have to say, I mean, to me, uh, it is doubtful that the court is going to go after the ACA because Justice Roberts worked so hard to save it in the past. I mean, I think that it is flawed. There's no question that it's flawed. Um, but I think that Justice Roberts rightly had tremendous judicial restraint because the last thing you want to do is take the signature legislative achievement uh, of a president, much less our first ever African-American president, and repeal it, Right. Uh, he was elected with a massive majority in both houses, and that's what he chose to do. And so, uh, I think that the Supreme Court, regardless of who's on it, is going to is going to be very careful about that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. The the blank pad of paper. Tell people about the. Bl- it's going to be. It, it, I believe this will be the iconic picture. This will be the takeaway because. Uh, people will be able to put all kinds of things on that blank pad of paper and turn this into a meme that will withstand time. So talk about the uh, that mo- that that moment and what well, she's you need to tell what me. she's working with. I understand with. somebody somebody asked her what was what was see. I, so she I has this pad that. of paper. Okay, I'm so sorry. Okay, so she has this it's pad right. of paper in front of herself, right? And so, um, which you know, like any of us, you periodically look down, right? Because that's just a part of sure. naturally what you're doing when you're um, in, so. It's uh, it's dishonest, apparently, to look up and to the left. It's not dishonest to look down. Right. So so she looks down. And so at one point, somebody says, what's on that pad of paper? Or what's what are you looking at? Like, what's on? The pad? <laughs> so she holds it up. I was like, what's written on that pad of paper? And she's like, um, the United States Senate. It is a pat. It is a blank pad of paper. She doesn't have any notes. She doesn't have anything to like, you know, be sure she's got the right dates or the right list or the right, you know, that she can recall something. She has a completely blank pad of paper in front of her. And she holds it up to show them. And it's just like it's this moment for me during which you're like, she's the real deal. She is the real deal. She doesn't need reminders about what she has said about herself or her decisions or the things she's written because it's all truthful. And so she can recall it. You know, or she can honestly say, "I don't remember that." Right. It should, it, well, it's 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 fascinating. It was it was very poignant. Yeah, to me, I mean, there's to me, it's always a little silly with this mental dueling uh, yeah. between the senators and the the judicial nominee. Uh, in part because we have reached a stage. I mean, it used to be that sometimes you would get some political hacks nominated to the court. That used to be something that sometimes happened. It's not that way anymore. I mean, the people who get nominated to the court are people who are, uh, you know, at the top of their class, at the very top law schools. Uh, having been to law school myself, I can tell you this is an incredibly competitive atmosphere. And the people who come out at the top are incredibly bright, capable people. And uh, she is, and you're seeing that. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Okay, you and I do not have time to talk about um, this other piece um, that Bloomberg posted 
on diversity. Um, and we have to circle back around to that because I do think it's really, really good and, and helpful. But we're going to have to do it on a different day because we're out of time today. Sounds which, good. Which, Hunter, you know, you're going to have to keep like a really clear list of all of the times that we talk because someday in some environment, somebody might ask. <laughs> hey, I'm coming to your town this weekend. Oh, I love that. All right, man. Yeah. Hey, have right. have a uh, have a great day. Have a safe right, trip. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. All right, what are you what are you reading today? What are you watching today? What are you doing today? Where's your where's your head today? You got to spend a little time thinking about what you're thinking about. So that was the sermon that I heard on Sunday morning, uh, which we are in the book of Romans, and we're spending a fair amount of time in Romans chapter eight. Not surprising. Um, and so, thinking about what you're thinking about, and cultivating the mind of Christ. So having the mind of Christ on the matters of the day, which is a thing that you hear me say a lot, a question you hear me ask, something I'm trying to provoke. We want to cultivate the mind of Christ on the matters of the day so that we can bring the mind of Christ to bear on everything, not only in our own lives, reconnecting the eternal with the everyday, but helping others to do so as well. So when I think about the ways that I am actually able to deliver hope to other people, like, you know, I'm not Jesus, so I can't save them, but I can help them perceive who he is and uh, and perceive eternity. So think about the word hope just for a moment and consider helping others perceive eternity. Hope. Help others perceive eternity today. And the way that we do that is we live as signposts. We allow God to reveal himself in and through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We don't do good works in order to get glory or, you know, get people to congratulate us or whatever. We're actually Uh, doing our good works, and we're doing them in front of other people in order that God might be glorified and other people might see him through us. And so let your light shine today in ways that God is glorified and people see him and they are helped to perceive uh, eternity. So give people some hope today. Help others perceive eternally. How do we do that? We live our lives authentically in Christ, setting our minds on the things that are above having a mind that belongs to Christ and a life that is used by him, animated by his Holy Spirit, walking by faith. We got another hour up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.